We can't. Yeah. You can't. Don't move, Hammer. I gave it up. No more harsh malt liquor taste. I've come for King Cobra smooth taste and cold malt liquor satisfaction. So I've heard. Now hand it over. Don't let the smooth taste fool you. It's the new breed. It's quality. Hey, this is it. Don't move, Hammer. What to do now is I take a real brisk walk each morning. Doctors are figuring out it's better for you than jogging. And I'll tell you something else they're just figuring out. Oatmeal is even better for you than you thought. High in fiber, high in protein, low in calories, and no cholesterol whatsoever. You see the sign? Word's getting out. The sign wasn't there yesterday, but it's there now, and there'll be more of them tomorrow. Quaker oatmeal. It's the right thing to do. Oh, you can't hear this because I have the headphones. <laughs> no, no, I, can't hear, but I can imagine what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, we're, we're just we're just dicking around. No pun intended. Yes, it's uh, on this on this late special. Late. This is like twilight. The twilight uh, episode. Yeah. It's the darkest before after hours. After hours. <laughs> after, after, hours. after after hours. This is the after hours. <laughs> Saturday night movie sleepover. It's Playboy after dark. <laughs> Saturday night movie sleepover. <laughs> We got the overnight shift. Yeah, we're just we're up late, late, late. Um, post, as we always post are. Saturday night sleepover. Yeah, we already recorded a Saturday sleepover, <laughs> and we had some time left. We went upstairs. Sun's and, not up yet. Yeah, we went upstairs. Everyone was still sleeping. We're like, oh, okay. Still got time till we can crack out those fruity pebbles. Yeah, and and, and pour us some OJ and some Sunny D. You know, <laughs> some purple stuff. Some purple stuff. <laughs> Whatever it is, some jungle juice, some icy. Sunny. You remember that commercial? <laughs> I knew you did. We got milk. We got water. We got soda. We got the purple stuff. We got Sunny D. Yo, can we have some Sunny D? <laughs> that was the, they're all coming from basketball, right? They're like playing basketball yeah, in the back. Well, I think there was a series of them. I think it was like that. The purple stuff became like. Oh, I thought it was only just this one commercial. No, I mean, the, I think the basketball one is like the most remembered one that's the one i remember best but i think that i think it was to my recollection it became a thing yeah they're like playing in the driveway or in the backyard and mom comes in with some groceries maybe that's that and then she's putting it away and then they come in when she's done putting them away and i'd be like if i was a mom like yo take your shoes off (laughs) (laughs) keep everybody out of the house i don't know who who he is so he can stay outside we used to play basketball out front of well sometimes my house but my driveway had a very slight uh you know, incline slash decline, uh, depending on which way you're looking at it, I guess. And which one is this, Albany? Yeah. Probably. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But the, because I had a basketball hoop at the driveway, but because the, like I said, the driveway wasn't completely flat. It wasn't bad. You could certainly play on it. But two doors down, somebody had like a completely flat uh, driveway yeah. with basketball hoop. So that's where we played most of the time. And your parents like, fuck, we put this thing up for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing dude where I can see you from the window, you fucking asshole. <laughs> I don't want to uh, play with ours. But so, you know, since we were at his house, if you took a break or whatever and you were thirsty. But he always had, like, ru- his parents always bought, like, Ocean Spring Ruby Red 
grapefruit juice. Oh, which was so disgusting. <laughs> I mean, maybe if I drank it now, I would like it. Yeah. But as like a 10, 12 year old kid, it was because it's, you know, grapefruit juice is, has like a very specific flavor. That's, it's not exactly sweet. There's like a weird, soury tartness. That's, to it. that's me when I was little with uh, elementary school. For some reason, I associated it with teachers, sparkling water. Yeah, yeah. I, as a kid, I could never get into, I mean, I can't even get into tonic really now. I like, I like sparkling water. I'm sorry, tonic. Yeah, tonic yeah. water. Yeah. And I always remember teachers always had tonic water. And I was like, you know, that's like you're saying. I couldn't go over somebody's house and here's some water. You want some carbonated water? <laughs> like, this is disgusting. Yeah, what is this? There's no syrup in here? So, yeah, yeah. so you, yeah, so you played over there and then that was when you'd run but inside. It was, so it'd always, yeah, it'd always be like grapefruit juice. <laughs> Not even orange juice. Wouldn't even quench your thirst. You know, it's like you the know? kid, the parents just giving out sodas. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was like refreshing. And, and if you were really hot, it was like, you know, it kind of did the trick. But I just remember. Like Sunny D would have been a welcome. Yeah, after <laughs> after that, even the pro I would have even gone with the purple stuff. Yeah, but ruby red grapefruit juice was not good as a kid. Yeah, and that was so we have none of that now because because nothing is you know it's still we're still recording it's late yeah, on yeah. a Saturday oh, night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's probably Sunday morning now, so we probably can even do like the Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> the Sunday the Sunday morning the Sunday morning. Psst, sleepovers it's like the conclusion after, <laughs> after the morning after podcast <laughs> so uh, and we have a little special to, to we had two people come over for tonight's yeah, sleepover. yeah. <laughs> we had two it, it was really awkward it was a really weird sleepover. yeah it was really weird we had two people come over and and uh sleep yeah they fell early yeah, they're both in their sleeping bags. <laughs> and uh, Blake and I moved over from the finished side of the basement in my parents' house to the unfinished side. So we're... We're the workbench. Yeah, we're by the workbench. <laughs> you know, we, sometimes we'd have a cigarette if we got drunk on that side. Or we'd... Uh, uh, what else did we do over there? We'd play Nerf. You know, play if you open all four doors or two doors, yeah, you can darts. run around the... Yeah, play my, darts. The dart, dartboard might be in yeah, that part of the Yeah, basement. maybe the dartboard there. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And there's like a bike and some other paint can. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that have been there for as long yeah. as you can. You can't even. The paint's s- probably dried inside yeah. those cans. There's no label on it. It's just a silver can you see, like on TV shows. You know, it's like a, a prop. We have that thing. So we're we're back, and all the tools are hung up on the wall. Yeah. You know, and and when I did what I was little, it was hilarious. Like uh, I don't know something a kid does. But I got like a marker or a pencil. And I was like, I'm going to help my dad out. So like I went downstairs, and he used to have like a a nail on the wall, and he had all his tools up. So I outlined. Every tool was. So you knew exactly where to put it back. Yeah, but I don't think he ever did. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, later on, it was just, like, <laughs> everything was mismatched. I'm like, hey, I, I, don't you love your son? So, but we're, we're there and we're here now because we, we were able to have come over. We had two very funny. We went to Monster Mania a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and... Um, uh, which I think a lot of people know about because we 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 did promo it on we the promoted the crap out of yeah it. on Facebook and stuff. People like are that. like, all right, we know, we're all right, do Monster Mania. Already. Yeah, I live in a landlocked Cherry state, Hill, New I, Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even make it over there. I never left my state. How am I going to get to the other side of the country, to Cherry Hill? And uh, it was a big thing. And you were sign. You had a book uh, table for book signing. Yeah, and we're trying to get the word on out on the street about your book in the podcast. The podcast, and then we were meeting new people there. That was fun. Meeting new people, meeting uh, some old friends. Yeah, that's where actually I got the bootleg of the the Scarecrow Romney Marsh that I brought up last week on the podcast. You know, got some out of print movies. That was it's always fun for, and we made it up for Facebook. Uh, yeah, we uh, met friends some of, met some of our 
Saturday night movie sleepover Facebook friends. Yeah. So then what you do with these things is like we did with a lot of the, uh, the people that uh, listen to the show that we met there is you network, you know, yeah, you yeah. become friends, you exchange cards and stuff. So little did we know we had fans of the show that we talked about, you know, and we had um, two people that we ran into that were big fans of the show and they said <laughs> they, they, they'd love to come over and do a, I will uh, say, an interview. I will say, if you're ever going to go to a convention. Me yeah, or anybody? Anybody. Okay. Something I discovered. I've been to many conventions. Yeah. More than my fair share. But something I didn't realize until Dion and I were at this convention is that, like, Saturday night after hours at the hotel. Insane. Like, that's where it's at. Like, Kane Hodder's drinking beer at the bar with everybody. Yeah, and it was so weird. And then there's people, like, people keep on their uh, cosplay. So it's surreal when you have, like, two Jasons walk into the bar and then the real Jason Kane Hodder's at the bar. (laughs) drinking and then they get scared because Kane Hodder's there and then it's just you know, yeah. Alan Howarth eating a bag of chips on the couch in the lobby talking to somebody yeah you, know, you s- got to figure that they're, they're they, they can either sit in their hotel room yeah or yeah, they, they got no place to go or they can come out and mingle yeah and and it turns out some of them come out and mingle and there was an Alan, Alan Howarth was putting on a little um, a concert a concert we were there kind of late yeah so we we'd, we'd gone we'd come back and we were like having a drink at the bar as you do you know like uh Looking around, scoping the scene, and we saw uh, what's his face, um, the DP walking around too. Oh, uh, yeah, Dean Cundy. Dean was Cundy was walking around. Yeah, it's Dean Cundy of such things as Jurassic Park and um, <laughs> all hollow of uh, Carpenter stuff, and uh, you know all these other great things. And then we saw like uh, a whole bunch of people. Just it just it's surreal to see just people you grew up with in this capacity just mingling. You know, they're just going about their business yeah, and, with people that are just at the convention. Yeah, and and then and then people who were in crazy cosplay outfits that every like thirty seconds to a minute you look over and you're like, whoa, that's weird. Oh, it's cosplay. You know, there's yeah, a zombie yeah. walking by, or there's like a guy with a, or there's like um, you know vampire parents and they have like their toddler and they're all dressed up as goth vampires and the t- the kids a vampire. And it's like, <laughs> you know, or Ghostbusters coming in, you know, because they, yeah, they have some yeah. ghost heads there from the local Ghostbusters union. You know, so it was it was or, surreal. Or some hot chicks dressed or, up like Ghostbusters. Yeah, or just hot chicks dressed up as hot chicks, and people are just taking. You know, and then you see like dudes, like you know, four hundred pound dudes, like I take your picture with you. You know, it was exciting. So anyway, yeah. So after, I'm just saying, that's where it's at. You know, if you're gonna, if you're, if you, because I'd never done it. I'd yeah. never stayed because I never stayed at the hotel. And I'm, just, I'm certain that there's probably you have to look into to the parameters surrounding your convention. If your convention is going to be. I don't know, maybe Midtown Manhattan. Maybe they wouldn't be hanging out in that hotel late night because yeah, they could yeah. be staying someplace else. But where we were in Cherry Hill, we were like on a strip. Like it was like a route something. So yeah, the yeah. hotel, there was no sidewalks. I mean, you could drive 15, yeah. 20 minutes into Philadelphia, but who's going to do that? Yeah, and there was there was no si- sidewalks for anybody to easily access. It was like just strip mall after, after strip mall. And in the middle was this big complex, which was like a Ramada Inn or some, some kind of hotel. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so they're kind of sequestered plaza, there. Yeah, it was a Crown Plaza. Uh, the old Crown Plaza. The old Cherry Hill Crown Plaza. Yeah, so they were kind of sequestered there. So that's, that's very interesting when you're all stuck there like in Antarctica. <laughs> You know, it's, like, it's like the thing. Yeah, you know, except there's a lot, lot more people. <laughs> it's a much bigger and there's a lot more people. Yeah. So while we were there, we ran into two people that you know that that, that we we were talking to, and they were really fun with, and they said they do interview with me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of them is uh, Martin Cove, who um, I personally love. That people Saturday Night Movie Sleepover alumni will know as. Um, the heavy in the Karate Kid. Yeah, he's in First Blood Part. He's, yeah, he's got a big part in First Blood Part Two. He's the one who like leaves b- behind Rambo. I remember how horrified and mad I was at him when I was little. Damn you! Yeah, and then Rambo comes back and gets this kind of revenge on him. You know, um, 
He's also in Cagney and Lacey, which was a big thing of, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of, and that's why I, I talked to him a little bit about it. And then uh, he's been a whole bunch of stuff. Wyatt Earp in, in the 90s, you know? Yeah. Uh, another show that I had completely forgotten until he brought up talking about it, a thing called Hard Time on Planet Earth. And this was a show that uh, it didn't, it just was locked away until he mentioned it. And I thought about it, and then I went and looked at it. It was, just, it was a show where I think it was done for Disney, but it was either on CBS or ABC. And the premise ran one season, so maybe the 13 or 14 episodes. And he is an alien. He's like a warrior in the class of like a He-Man. Yeah, yeah. And then he had this galactic, this is all told in the epilogue. He has uh, this galactic <clears throat> battle that he takes. And then uh, the war counts or whatever, you know, they're going to like um, kind of, uh, what do you call that? <laughs> And then he does this. And then, what do you, uh, you know? He does they're going to banish him someplace. Instead of killing him, they're going to banish him to another planet. So they take all his equipment off and they throw him down on Earth. So he doesn't know. So he's a fish out of water on Earth, this big yeah, guy. Yeah. And this is, he's played by Martin Cove. And what they, the hook on this show from the late 80s, they gave him basically um, a, a crappy CGI version of um, the eye from um, Flight of the Navigator flying around to be his like. Yeah. Earth interpreter of the new world. And I mean, at the time, I'm sure it looked amazing. But sadly now, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. you know, we always talk about the eye educators. We're talking about, uh, this is like probably right around, was that Sequest? Sequest? Uh, right, probably right around that time? Well, I don't know. What, what, time, what year was Sequest? I thought that was early 90s. Oh, yeah. And so this is like 89, I think, oh, flat so out. Just before that. Yeah, but it's right around that time. And this, so it's basically his adventures. I think they shot it in Florida, like in Orlando or somewhere, maybe because it was close to Disney. It's his, his adventures, like coping with the world and getting like, you know, trying to figure stuff out. And then, you know, his approach is to break everything because he's a warrior. And <laughs> the thing is like compliance, uh, you know, and then the thing fucks things up because the thing doesn't know what to... To sometimes because it's that's the that's the comedy of the show because it doesn't know so it'll say yeah. oh it wants currency and then it'll like rob an ATM and he's a bank mm -hmm. robber you know so so it's actually if you go on YouTube maybe we could put a link to this to the series it's actually quite a fun show to revisit and like with everything with Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers we, we look at things lovingly I mean it, it is hindered because it's it was only ran a year it was you know it had the, the special effects don't hold up as well as they could and sure but maybe if they do like a like a special edition of that bad boy it was a weird time for TV. Um, early 90s late 80s early 90s because there was like syndication became a thing but not like a syndication like dude like a show ran for 107 episodes so then they started, they ran the syndication but they were actually started producing shows for syndication then so you get a lot of like very odd programs and it was great like i remember those times very fondly with those kinds of shows yeah you know it's it was weird too and then, I'm not saying I don't know if that was. I don't think that was in syndication, but it reminds me of the kinds of shows. Yeah, they would that do that. They would just. Then. They'd have like a. They'd have to. Uh, they'd have a limit. Once they got a green light, they'd have a limit that they have to produce. So they'd have a whole. So that's cartoons. You'd have like yeah, yeah. 65 episodes of a series. Like, I don't but remember even having like this. you know with the Hercules and the you know, Sam Raimi, Robert Tappert stuff when they started with that as action pack movies on Sundays, and it was. That's how Hercules was born. But those, I think, were like made specifically for syndication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or you'd have the other end of the spectrum where a show like, uh, I think the best example would be Firefly, where it would be done, they would shoot 12, but then maybe only seven or eight of them would air regularly yeah. because they didn't have a plate, they couldn't find a night for it or whatever, and then it would get canceled before it was even finished. So you'd be lucky if the like episodes 10, 11, and 12 ever aired. 
you know, or you'd have to wait sure, for the, the sure. box set to come out or at this, three in the morning. This plot just kind of reminds me of those like early nineties, like Kung Fu. The, the legend jerk. continues. <laughs> yeah, the legend I continues. love that show. Yeah. Alienation, the series. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. You know, so yeah, you have a lot of them trying like stuff. What's fresh? What's hot right now? So this hard time on planet Earth was just take a, a space warrior and he's a turn him into a human. And he's stuck on Earth and he's got to. And I mean, can you imagine doing like eight series seasons of that? You know, where do you go? So nowadays, I always think about like, you know, that's a really hard plot to just, you know, have a whole. Like, I was watching Land of the Giants the other night, and it's yeah, like yeah. that is a hard series. Like every series, they're getting involved with humans running away, and they're freaking, you know, they're in the same. <laughs> do they wash? Do they ever change their clothes? You know, it's sure. all, you know. But I guess people back then didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. You know. So anyway, so. Uh, Chatted with Martin Cove. He was really awesome. And he, we talked about a, a whole bunch of his movies. Death Race, uh, Last House on the Left. We talked about Rambo 2, Cagney and Lacey, well, The Gambler. So I don't, yeah, without gonna, further gonna, ado. You're going to listen to it right now. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> We're here now with legendary actor Martin Cove. Um, and it's, it's such an honor to have you here to talk to you for a couple minutes. Um, I know you're a very busy man. Um, how did you get started in acting? You were born in Brooklyn? Were you born and raised there? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, then we moved to Queens, and then, you know, I, but I always loved theater, I think since the fourth grade, and doing a play in school, and I just loved it, and then knew I wanted to be an actor since the fourth grade, and, and just worked in, you know, all the silly little productions in school, and and I worked with Gene Frankel, who was a really notable, um, notable um, teacher, and had a great acting school in the village, and we did a Volpone with him, and got a little taste of that and then went away to school didn't do very much you know just went to school in Miami it was a playtime but did you go there for um, for acting or no I went there just because I went to so many different schools I had no sense of discipline and um, went out of town to try that and that was too much carrying on and no discipline no working in the theater then I came back and I started with a repertory company called classical stage company in Manhattan and um, worked at Lincoln Center and did a variety of a variety of plays. And one day, I think, my mother called the theater that I was going to see a play at. And the stage manager came out on the stage and said, well, Martin Cove, please call, come to the box office and call his mother. Right? Okay. Reasonably embarrassed. So I called my mother and she said, the guy who was standing in for Sean Connery broke his leg and they want you to stand in. And this was a glorified extra job. What, what picture was it? Do you remember? The Anderson Tapes. Oh, wow. So I got down there and I got to work with Marty Balsam and, and Sidney oh, Lumet. Wow, wow. Sidney Lumet directed it and Chris Walken was in it and, and you know, Sean. And it was just great. It was a really glorified extra, but you learned so much. Was that your first on-screen role? Uh, no, it was yeah. really, it was off-screen because it was a standard. Yeah. And... Um, and you have a little part in Last House on the Left, too. You're the, like the deputy yeah. there. You yeah. shot up in Connecticut, maybe? Or? Yeah, we did Last House on the Left, and they offered me to, the real bad guy, Krug, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I got my friend David Hess to do it, and I dressed him up in sweaters because they wanted someone really big. And um, he got it, did the music for it, and you know, he was very talented. He wrote Speedy Gonzales and a variety of things. And then he ha went on to have a good career in Europe. So David was a great guy, and... I then, you know, did a bunch of stuff in New York and some theater and then came out to California and, and did a lot of... You have a lot of episodic television at the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the first year, and I see some of this stuff now on DirecTV because you put your name in and they, they throw out all the stuff you did and some of it is very embarrassing. I mean, the Rota show and Starsky and Hutch and, 
and the rookies and Quincy and all that, that episode stuff. of Kojak and yeah, yeah, exactly. Police story. Yeah, well, you, you just don't like it, or you just or you just no, playing a heavier. Ca- no, it's just the acting was kind of shallow. You know, I mean, you weren't seasoned. You didn't know what you were doing, but it was you know you're winging it, and they liked it. But you know, today I just get embarrassed when you see some of that stuff. You're in a death race as well, death yeah, race two thousand. Well, that's when I got out to the coast, and um, um, that was the. Let's see. That was the second year I was in Hollywood. So I did Capone with Ben Gazzara. That's a favorite of mine. Stallone's in that, and uh, Harry Gordino, I think, yeah, is in that yeah. as well. We had a good time on that show. And then Sly and I worked together again because we knew each other. We had the same old. He was a personal manager named Kuno Spoonholz, who used to probably originally was a clockmaker, I think. <laughs> And he was our manager in New York. Used to get Sly a job as an usher in the Baronet in Manhattan in the theater. And he used to get me a job as Santa Claus and Abraham and Strauss. <laughs> and then ultimately we just, you know, Sly, you know, Sly and I be, you know, became friends for a while. And, and um, he exploded with Rocky and hadn't talked to him for a couple of years. And then when I did Karate Kid and, you know, was doing Cagney and Lacey for six years while... So how did you get... You got Cagney and Lacey first prior to Karate Kid. Yeah. Got Cagney and Lacey first as his Becky. And was doing that, and it was on hiatus. Were you in the pilot now? No, I wasn't in the pilot. I was there for six years after the pilot. And um, got a break and did this thing called Karate Kid. Nobody knew what it was really going to be. It was going to be this iconic epic that it has become. And for me, the star of that movie is truly... Robert Kamen, the writer, because without, you know, his his vision and John Avelson's vision, why, you know, no mercy, sweep the leg, wax on, wax off, you know, yeah. they wouldn't be here. So he, it wasn't just Miyagi and the chemistry between Ralph and and Miyagi, um, between Daniel and Miyagi, but it was, I think, the writing across the board. And then, you know, I did three of those and Rambo in between and Wyatt Earp with Costner. And, you know, I'm trying to resurrect the Western and get the Western back. Westerns are phenomenal, yes. They're great. But they got to be a little more about people, you know. And um, so I got a couple of those things going and I just did a pilot with my son. It was a wonderful actor, Jesse Cove is his name. And he just did a picture, um, The Last Race with Joe Fiennes in China. Oh, wow. It's sort of a sequel to Chariots of Fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, it comes out in the summer. And, um, you know, we just did a pilot called Bloodlands Together, which is sort of like um, HBO's true detective, dark detective story. Well, that sounds interesting. Very interesting. Very well written. And, um, and does that kind of get you back to, like, the Cagney and Lacey years of being a Are you a cop on the show? Yeah, or I'm a detective, a corrupt detective. Now, what did you think? I mean, nowadays, uh, my wife and I watch Cagney and Lacey loyally, and it's hilarious to think, like... Um, I mean, not hilarious, but it's just amazing the lasting impact the show has where it's so forward-thinking for the early to mid-'80s to late-'80s now with all the, the themes of, um, you know, uh, sexism or, <clears throat> or all that kind of thing. And especially your character and the progression of your character, uh, you know, where you start kind of hitting on them and then through the course of the seasons you, you find a love interest and you marry her and then you, uh, you know, there's a scare of her having cancer. So it's, it's, it's so well-rounded, these characters. You know, it's, it's true. Do, you, do you find that, like that it um well i find it was ahead of its time i mean there's so many issues on that show that came out of the new york times and um and every year you didn't think if it seemed like every season you didn't know if you were going to have another one we were canceled twice yeah and it was a write-in um campaign that 
and re revived us a second time. The first, <clears throat> the first time we were canceled was after Meg Foster did four episodes, and she was a terrific actress. Oh, yeah. But, you know, um, as far as the network goes, they make strange decisions, and they didn't find her with Tyne particularly. And the numbers are low. It it's like a weird, weird chemistry, they thought. They thought. They, what, do they have, what do they know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they canceled. And, and, and we at that time, we, you know, we didn't know what our future was like. Then and is the that show, the hiatus when you went to do Karate Kid during that time? Um, it was in, no, it was two years later. I see. But even after Sharon and Game Member Sharon, you know, we got canceled the second time after a year with Sharon Glass. And, you know, the book that Barney Rosenzweig wor uh, wrote tells the whole story. Yeah. But um, we really, you know, we had a writing campaign. It was a really good show, and the numbers were kind of dubious. And then all of a sudden, we got all these Emmy nominations. And yeah, every episode, it high. seems you're dealing with something very serious, and it gets very emotional. Yeah, it was good know. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I went right into Hard Time on Planet Earth for CBS right after that and uh, couldn't do Karate Kid 3 because it was written for me. That was my vehicle. And there wasn't uh, a character, Terry Silver, in there, you know. And, uh, but we had to put him in because I couldn't do the show. I was the star of Hard Time on Planet Earth at Disney. And uh, they couldn't risk me being available enough, so they put me on periphery on a vacation. Oh, really? And put me on the periphery of the movie. And, and ultimately, you know, it worked out, but you can't disenfranchise the villain. Like, of course, yeah. Star Wars without Darth Vader. Yeah. And then uh, you, you said before you worked with uh, Stallone and Rocky too, uh, Rambo too. And um, how did you like that at the time? I guess you know you're in the 80s, and then you know was, that was, was the awesome. biggest thing you know going. 80, 84 pages of mayhem. So I knew once they gave me that script, that I would have to find. It was right after Karate Kid that if I followed it up with that, it was a good thing. It definitely was going to be another hundred million dollar movie. You know, was it true that Jim Cameron supposedly wrote like it first? Like I heard like a version of it. Yeah, 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 and then they kind of. Yeah, and down. they changed it and Sly got more involved. But, you know, it was, I think they wrote a book first. It was a pocketbook that I have. Um, I don't know which came first. I might have come simultaneously. But it was always, you know, interesting to do that piece. Yeah. Um, and then you play Babyface Nelson as well. Yeah. yeah. And you've done a lot of, like, uh, great. And then, you like you said, Wyatt Earp as well. Well, see, Thomas L played Babyface Nelson. I played John Dillinger. Oh, okay. And that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. And, um, and then, you know, went on to do a lot of different independent movies. And, and um, you just, you know, do a lot of, doing a lot of theater. You always try to do as much theater as you can. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of enormous amount of independent pictures. And Wyatt Earp was great to do with Kevin. And that was like, that was a true epic with everybody yeah, on board and how long it was, yeah. Then there's one out now, Six Gun Savior, which yes. is really fun with Eric Roberts, which I play a gunfighter. But he's the devil. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very Spoiler cool. alert. Don't let anybody it's know. very cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anybody that you wish you would have worked with that you didn't? Or? Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my career was, I, it was, I think it was 1976, 77, and I always loved Steve McQueen. Oh, and, yeah, I'm a huge McQueen fan. I, I was offered a week's work on Tom Horn to play Gentleman Jim Corbett, fighter. And I get into this fight with Steve McQueen. It was good stuff. And I just arrived that day to see my parents in New York. And that offer came in that day that I arrived. And, I, and they offered me, I think, scale, $650 or something. And I didn't like that. 
But I also didn't like the fact that I have to leave my parents that day and go back. And they shot that on location, and that's probably, yeah. what, 79, because he died yeah, in 80? exactly. It was his last Western, and I would have gotten along with Steve McQueen. You know, his son Chad did Karate Kid. And, I yeah. mean, I, Pat Johnson, who was the coordinator of, son coordinator of our movie, you know, he was Steve McQueen's karate instructor. Oh, and, wow. I mean, there's so many stories around Steve McQueen, and I knew I loved Steve McQueen movies. And I read his autobiography, and I said, the biggest mistake I ever made in my career was not going back to L.A. to do that part. Did you ever meet him? or No. no you never got him. to meet him? Never but met you him. met his son subsequently. Yeah, then. Chad, good guy. He was yeah. one of the Cobra Kai. He's Dutch in the Cobra Kai. Yeah, and then, of course, Tom Horn became a legendary movie in its own yeah, right, off the true, uh, oh, true yeah. story of all and that. I got a book that someone gave me for my birthday about Tom Horn, a whole yeah. autobiography. How they hung him wrongfully and all that kind of a thing. And, yeah. you know. and, and, and you know, it was written by my friend, um, uh, um, Chandler, and he goes on the whole wall ride with us. Every year in September, I go with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids used to hide out, and we go for four days, five days on the saddle. We ride like eight hours a day, and it was all, you know, it's Wyoming. And, yeah. Um, and is that where John you live Chandler. or you... Uh... No, no, I live in Los Angeles, but John Chandler wrote this book called Wyoming Wind. He gave me last week, and um, um, it's, it's great. It's just great. You know, I, I've got to read it because it's another take on Tom Horn. But it's painful because, I, you know, I'm curious to see if he really did meet Gentleman Jim Corbett in real life. And is that the scene at the beginning where he gets into the fight with the gentleman and then they is that why he gets is that or I forget I, I haven't seen the movie in so long but then I, I know yeah, they, they kind of frame him. Yeah, yeah. And then they end up getting wrongfully hanged because they kind of just yeah, want to get no, rid I don't of think him. It's, no, I think he got wrongfully hanged for some other issue. Well, they they, they hired him as like a, a gunfighter to yeah. protect the land and then they yeah. And they double crossed him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you so you have affinity for westerns then you oh, like the yeah. I, I was born on the day the Alamo fell. So March 6th is my birthday, and I've always had an oh, affinity. Oh, you're a Pisces. Happy yeah. belated birthday. Thank you. And I've always had an affinity to, you know, Texas. And I love Texas, but I love the West. You know, I did The Gambler with Kenny Rogers yeah. the last four hours of The Gambler and and did a, another one, another Western um, hard, hard ground with Burt Reynolds and Brewster. And yeah, of course. Mark and I just love doing Western. I mean, you've, it sounds like you work with everybody. You brought up Martin Balsam before, and then you know Sean Connery to to, to I mean Stallone, uh, a, f- a favorite of mine, Joe Spinell. Did you ever meet him? Sure, uh, of course. Yeah. Oh, so you know? Uh, sure. uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maniac Cop was it? Yeah, he did Maniac, and then yeah. yeah he's but in I there. knew him in New York when he was doing Godfather stuff, and and he was a lovely guy. We used to play softball. All the actors played softball together in Central Park, in the Broadway Show League. You know, every Tuesday we'd play, and all the different Broadway shows had a team. But, um, you know, one of the most interesting things was doing the White Buffalo with Charlie Bronson. Yes, White Buffalo there, and Jack Warden as well, mm-hmm. maybe? Yes. And so he, that was 76. Years later, I'm in a black tie And affair. he plays Wild Bill uh, Hickok, I think, yeah. that, and, uh, Bronson does. Yeah, like years later, 13 years later, I'm at a black tie event, and this is after Karate Kid and Cagney and Lacey and all that. And I go up to Charlie, and I say, Charlie, you remember me from White Buffalo? And I play Jack McCall, who kills him in real life. And... Um, he looks at me and he says, sure, I remember you. You're still doing that series with them girls. <laughs> I said to him, Charlie, you watch Cagney and Lacey? He says, yeah, it's my favorite show. That's amazing. That's amazing to think of that. <laughs> Charlie Brunson, to love Cagney and Lacey, had his favorite show about no action. You know, it's about two women. But, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. That's what he loved. That's amazing. Um, and, and that's what you're working on now with your son, the pilot, and, and doing yeah, it. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so very much pleasure, for taking your time, Mr. Good, Gove. You know, good you. luck with this, and um, just look for the next good Western. It's the American heritage of cinema. Yes. The Western. It's our staple. And I think we've got to, like, rejuvenate it. Uh, I completely really agree. Thank you so very much for your time. All righty. Wow. Yes. That was something. That was epic. <laughs> really nice guy. No, no, he seems nice. Yeah. He seems very... He was uh, over the moon, and I, I don't want to give away his age, but he looks amazing for, for the age he is. And, you know, he looks... He doesn't look... You know, a lot of people who, as they get older, they don't look as good. And he doesn't look like he has any work done. He's still yeah, physically yeah. fit. He's what he's wearing the he was wearing the Cobra Kai gi, like the top. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. And then, uh, so I, I brought him over the Cagney Lacey box set to have him sign. And he's like, oh, I didn't even know about the box set. So him and I don't know who it was. It could have been his wife. It could have been his uh, assistant. It could have been his yeah. manager. They're looking at it like, where'd you get this? And we explain it to him. So they took a picture of like the 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 uh, website they're like oh we got to get this thing because i was telling him it's limited run so then you know we chatted for a second so i was like can i get a picture too and he's like sure so you know he, we get up to take a picture and his like patent picture is he puts the the fist up for yeah, uh yeah. you know to do cobra kai so he does that for the first picture and, and his assistant's like no honey honey no it, it's not a tough picture he likes cagney lacy he's like oh so he puts the <laughs> So he puts the fist down, and the next one is just us smiling together. So it's pretty funny that he has, like, his go-to, yeah, you know, yeah. thingamajiggy. But, yeah, he was super nice, you know. Gave me a lot of time, and, you know, and it was really nice. I was able to talk to him for 20 minutes about Stephen Yeah, Queen, he sound, I mean, you clearly. Know. This is the other thing. It's like <clears throat> if you get to a Sunday, the Sunday at the convention, things start to wind down a little bit. Saturday is really hectic. I don't know if you would. I don't think you would have been able to do it on Saturday. But Sundays, things start to wind down a little bit. And so if you're lucky, you find a guy that's nice enough. They're like, yeah, I'm sitting here anyway. You're like, yeah, let's chat. Like, sure. Yeah. And yeah, he, we walked over to the side of the room, and we had time to just sit down and just, you know, and it was lovely for him to give us that time to be able to, you know, to, to talk about his stuff and his love for Westerns, which I love. And yeah. who knew his story about uh, missing out meeting Steve McQueen. That's probably my favorite Steve McQueen Western, which is a very good Tom Horns about a, a real-life story that they, I think, for people who were big Western fans, uh, the really good movie Quickly Down Under with um, uh, Tom, Tom Selleck borrowed a lot from Tom Horn because if you look at, like, the gun he uses and how his look is, uh, they're almost identical, and there's even like a shot of how Tom Selleck is holding the the gun and it, the big uh, rifle, and it's the same picture that McQueen did for Tom Horn, you know, because it's a big high. It's one of these sniper rifles back in the West that you can yeah. shoot someone like almost a mile away. So uh, yeah, it was great, and I loved growing up too. Another movie for me was White Buffalo with Charles Bronson. I mean, that was I don't know. I wonder if that was kind of like Jaws, you know, on land with a white buffalo, but it, they made it like they're hunting this it the white buffalo was almost supernatural and that was the angle for the movie yeah. so like at night they'll be at camp in the dark and you'd hear the thing coming and then it would cut to a close-up of like the buffalo's like white uh side and its red eye you know, like it's going through the woods you know it would come out and like hit somebody and go back into the you know so it was very frightening yeah and that scared the crap out of me when i was little so it was good to know that you know he had a story about that i believe you know for people that haven't seen it but have seen a, a, a movie, a favorite of mine, Hot Tub Time Machine. Yes. They reference that. That's like, oh, White Buffalo, White Buffalo. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I did As see like that, but I don't remember. The thing they didn't obtain, they just reference it. Sadly. And, and uh, so I'm sure there's millions of people that saw that movie have no idea what that reference is. And it's this, this Charles Bronson, Jack Ward movie. And sadly, I don't know if it's based off of true events, but 
Bronson plays Wild Bill Hickok in it. So unless it's a, a historical fiction, yeah. maybe there was this elusive white buffalo. You know, maybe it was just a, uh, what do you call that? Um, like a, uh, what do you call people? Um, albino. Maybe it was like an albino white buffalo or yeah, something rare. Call people. You know, what do you call those kind of people? <laughs> you know, so, Johnny Wendu. Yeah, <laughs> Johnny Wendu. What's that? What's that? <laughs> you know. So it was, and it's interesting that, you know, uh, Bronson was a, was a Cagney and Lacey fan. And I'm a huge Cagney and Lacey fan. So it was just. Good well, you job. know, it's funny because you talk about. You know, what year are we talking about? For what? Cagney and Lacey. Uh, 81 to maybe 87 or 88. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to go back and and look at some of those shows. Because, you know, as we all know, I'm contra- uh, contractually obligated to mention 21 Jump Street. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> but when you're talking about how it's very kind of ahead of its time and kind of risque for its time, I mean, that's the way 21 Jump Street was. Yeah. So, you know, you don't really think about it. I mean, you start to think, like, oh, what other shows were? I should start investigating. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's a surprise because you don't realize at the time, but if you look back at it, I guess, through the decades, which I think we've talked about here, where it's like you take your 70s shows and there was more about like the cop or the person. But then when you get into the 80s, it's they kind of turn it and they start getting it into transcending the genre and turning it into like about comments on society or what's yeah, happening yeah. at the time. And what's really, uh, ho- not hilarious, but ironic is that whatever you're watching, maybe this happens with you at 21 Jump Street, like everything is topical today. Yeah, There's yeah, an episode sure. that's about, uh, I don't know, not, I wouldn't say just racism, but there's an episode about like, you know, government, this and that. Yeah, it's just, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's it's almost like it's like Law and Order rips out of the, you know, the, the tabloids today. Sure. You know, so I enjoyed that. And he was really great. And, you know, and I, it almost makes me want to go horseback riding and go find this, um, the trail he went on, the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid trail. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> Sure. You know, go out, go out on the on the do like an episode, do a western, and go around and you know <laughs> on horseback and do an episode while we're on horseback. Uh, that'd be hilarious. And I and I completely agree with him about the western. I think it's something we should keep alive and revitalize. And he makes a good point about turning the westerns into more about people, you know, yeah, yeah. character studies. Which is well, it's a tough genre to sell because it's the only genre that's as a, as a genre itself is very specific to american history you know so even though leone had a bit had a lot of success you know leone and the italians had a lot of success with spaghetti westerns it's a tough sell because asia russia you know a lot of europe i mean south america some yeah. of south america unless you get closer to central america or you know mexico it's a very it's specific yeah. to and to american history so a, a lot of the rest of the world doesn't identify with it so much uh, uh yeah in a way so it's a tough sell i'm not uh you know for like marketing and trying to distribute a movie but it's i mean it's it, it, the fact that it exists at all as a as a genre of itself kind of like shows like kind of like how great it is because it's the only genre like that yeah it um there used to be at one point like out in Asia and maybe Japan specifically, there was like a romanticism for it. People would like it because, Oh, it's American. It's an American Western. Like they, like, like, you know, the British in the sixties and fifties identifying with the American music culture and assimilating. So you had that for a minute when they were idolizing or glorifying it, they liked it. But then when that, once that passes, you're right, there's not really, you know, I mean, you could have indigenous, you can kind of say like samurais are their former Westerns, like the Kurosawa, you know, yeah. or more recently with Miyake or yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, what's the one? Well, with... even Miyake made like a Western, but uh, uh, it's still, it's a... It's Lone a... Wolf and Cub, like those pictures are kind of, but yeah, right. It's a tough sell outside of the immediate, 
the Western yeah, civilization market. Yeah, but it's market. also tough to... I mean, that, that's kind of the beauty of the archetype and all that stuff. Because I don't... I'm not positive you could say that, like, Kurosawa was trying to make Westerns with samurai movies. <laughs> you yeah. know, they think it's just a... It's a, there's a similarity in the, yeah. in, the, in the lore and in the, the character. Yeah, the principles and what's and going on. Exactly. Um, so then it was great talking to Martin Cove. And, you know, thank you, thank him so much for, for thank doing Thank you, it. Martin Cove. Mr. Cove. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to him again. And then we, we had another individual we ran into. The, the He was, for at one time, almost our... Uh, patron saint here on Senate Moon Sleepovers. <laughs> he was until I think Carpenter knocked him out. But at the beginning there was some Wilford Brimley. We went we went on a stint where we were very into Wilford Brimley. Yeah, we did uh how many Wilford we did With, Remo Williams. We, we did, did Remo Williams the thing. We did the thing. We did, we did hard, hard target. target. And we only did Remo Williams because you could hear like the inspiration for it come in the middle of the hard target episode. I think. Was that what it was? We're and they were about, like, oh yeah, remember how awesome yeah, Wilford Brimley. You know, he's in that too. Yeah. And I do I feel like, like another Wilford Brimley movie next week. And I feel like we did another Wilford Brimley movie, but then it's like, I don't know, we, we didn't do Cocoon and we haven't done uh, The Firm. I'm trying to think of other big hits of his. So, uh, But we at least did those three. Yeah, and the, you know, For those classics. are, yeah, and those are the ones, this, this was the first time he's ever been at a convention. And those are the ones that he was most representing. You know, they had pictures from all kinds of stuff. And uh, they also had a sweet pick, which I really regret not getting now. It was an ad for uh, Quaker Oats. From like the early oh, yeah, '80s, yeah. and it was like it was like a print ad, and it was him like with a little girl, and she's like eating a bowl of cereal, and he's like pointing at her and smiling, like because he's the spokesman, and yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, that'd been great for him to sign that, you know. And he was also in what's the show in the remember that it wasn't um, uh, the Wiltons, but remember there was a big show he did in the '80s where it was like a it was a a TV show and it was like a uh, like a drama maybe it was about a family it was about a family to my recollection and I could be completely wrong because I'm just going off the fact that you just spurred this memory on right now <laughs> I know. we are completely unprepared for this we have no internet access for some to the reason, basement I recall that Shannon Doherty was on that show it was something with a house and there was pictures it was a house but it remember wasn't, they were, it, it wasn't period like the Waltons no 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 it wasn't it but was it contemporary was, like, he was like the grandfather like patriarch of the family if I recall correctly yeah, and I, I don't know. If, I don't think it was a comedy. That's no, a, no. I think a, it was like a family drama, but probably had light moments. Yeah, know. and then uh, oh, I didn't. I forgot he was in the China Syndrome. He's in. He's got a lot of great credits to his name, uh, Mr. Brimley. But uh, it was kind of hard. Um, you know, he's 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 a little older, so. And it, this was his first convention, as well as you said, this was a Sunday. So it's like you know, trying to. He's probably tired from from from. You know, being there for for three days was he there for at this point? Yeah. And then you know, it's it, he later told me after we 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 stopped recording that it that he said um you know uh, he said I'm not, I'm just not good at that son I'm not good at doing interviews so I was like so I was trying to get him and it was rather intimidating to see Wilford Brimley sitting there yeah. and I just off the cuff hey would you would you talk for a couple minutes he's like sure and then okay and then off the, off the top of my head trying to trying to just get things to get answers out of him yeah. so. Have a listen and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, he's about. clearly just not a talker. Some yeah. people just aren't talkers. Exactly. You know. So, here you go. So, we're here now with Wilford Brimley, legend in his own right, amazing actor. Uh, he's done millions of great things. Um, how did you first get into acting? What drew you to the craft of... Somebody hired me. And your first film was True Grit? 
No, no, no. I, I wasn't in that. I was an extra in that. Okay. Um, is it true that prior to acting, you were a, a fighter? You you did some prize fighting or? No. No, no. Okay. I'd heard that you were on a bill with Charles Durning in a match at the Garden. No. Or no. No, nothing like that at all. No. No. Um, is it true that you bodyguarded for Howard Hughes? I also no. heard that. No, nothing. No, nothing. That's all. That's nobody's business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite role you did, or, or someone particularly you worked Stone with? Stone Boy. Love? Okay. Um, is there anybody you would have loved to have worked with that you didn't be able to? I or? think I got them all. You did, I, yeah. I really think I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, through, through your whole career, um, do you, is there something you missed you, you still like doing at all, or is it still uh, No, you know, I'm so lucky. I did whatever I wanted to do, and I still do. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And I love now that um, you, you've been doing, uh, like, for diabetes awareness and all that and getting that out there, the voice. Because a lot of people don't really uh, know to get tested or, or... Well, they're ashamed of it for some reason. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, what what got you into acting? It's just that you just got a job? You just... You yeah. Just, you, know, you just wanted to... Seemed like easy money to me. Yeah. I mean, some people, I guess it, it, it comes to them better than others, and you just never had that... Uh, nervousness or any kind of hesitation to go out and just perform? No. Yeah. No, I never set out to be that. Yeah. Just kind of came my way. Yeah. And you've done some really legendary roles as well. So it, it's, it's, yeah, you know, uh, from The Firm and The Thing and uh, all kinds of different things to the 70s and Remo Williams and even things now that are just cult classics. It's just amazing, you know, your, your, your body of work. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so very much for uh, giving the time to talk to us. Thank you. You bet you. Good luck to you, son. Thank you. So as you come out of that, you can. I, I'm kind of nervous. I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want him to think I'm trying to like sandbag him and say something like controversial or silly <laughs> or baba booey him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's also clearly. Uh, I mean, he. Some people just carry themselves in a certain way. That's a little bit intimidating. And you don't really know why you're intimidated by it. Yeah. <laughs> but I can see, I think I would have been, I don't know how, if you were, but I think I would have been a little bit intimidated. He seems like a very, like, no-nonsense old guy. He's like, led a hell of a life, been in a hell of a, a lot of great movies. And he's just this old guy sitting there. Was he wearing a cowboy hat? He was wearing a huge-ass <laughs> cowboy hat. You know, uh, we didn't make a lot of eye contact during the, the, uh, the, the interview either, so it was more like me with the microphone. You know, swinging the, the 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 handheld mic from my mouth to his mouth, yeah, yeah. and uh, trying to. I was really just trying to get him to 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 like to, to to like a question, and then maybe opine about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it was just I'd completely forgotten about the movie Stone Boy that he says it was his favorite role. It's the Robert Duvall movie that is about a family that while hunting in the woods, there's a tragedy where I think like the older son shoots the younger son, or vice versa. So then the the movie's about the family having to deal with that tragedy, and he's yeah. in it maybe as the grandfather or the family friend. Uh, with uh, And then um, a lot of the stuff I thought he did, he says he di didn't do. Like, yeah, um, we've been talking for years about this boxing This bill. boxing card with, with Charles uh, with Charles Durning and, and Wilford Brimley. Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley. 
Oh, you know what? Uh, as I'm uh, a script runner is running something over to me in my basement, I'm seeing that he was on the his his Brimley's on screen breakthrough came when he was cast in the '70s show The Waltons. Huh. So he was in The Waltons, but there was another show that there we're trying to think of. Show in the '80s. Yeah. yeah, that he was like the father. Something House, I feel like Our House. Uh, there you go, starring. Uh, you're right, Deirdre Hall, uh, Chad Allen, and Sharon Doherty. Yeah, and that's from 1980s. Yeah. Very interesting. Our house, it's called. Because I remember when 90210 came along. It was like, oh, that's the girl from that Wilford Brimley show. <laughs> yeah, Brimley became known for portraying gruff and stocky old men, most notably in the 1980 show Open House. Uh, Our House. Our House. Our House. Excuse Our me. Our House. Is in the middle of the... <laughs> is a very, very, very fine house. Yes. So, uh, I was... We... we he 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 dispelled the, the 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 rumor on the internet that he was on a title car Wilford Brimley, but then Wilford Brimley with Charles Durning. But then I didn't. I still think there might be some truth to him being a bodyguard for um, Howard Hughes because he said no, and he said it would be nobody's business if it was. So maybe yeah, maybe you know, he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah, it. yeah, there's nothing I can't talk about, son. But like. You know, it's very hard to... to I signed a non-disclosure agreement a long time <laughs> yeah. ago, and I'm not going to break it now. I learned it once with J. Edgar Hoover. You don't break non-disclosures from people like Howard Hughes or J. Edgar Hoover. Um, but it's just hard to go blind and just try to talk to somebody and then, you know, not sound like you're just like, so how was working in the thing? Yeah, yeah. Did you love the thing? How <laughs> yeah. was the thing? What else have you worked in, you know? Why did you choose not to have a mustache in the thing? Yeah. Why did you want him to watch Clark so intensely? Oh, he's so good in that movie. He's amazing. Oh. He really, he really. Uh, I was going to say ties the room together like the carpet does. <laughs> you know, but he's so. Watch Clark. Yeah. I watch mean, him good. Uh, well, I forget what the line was. And yeah, the more you watch the movie, of course, with any movie, the more subtly you pick up on it. And you really realize at the beginning, you really realize. You that really, really realize. <laughs> that he's not gone crazy. He's just, uh, he, he's the first one to figure everything out. That's brilliant, but he, and he plays such a good role in that. And he has a great role in The Firm. He has a great role in um, Remo. We love him in, you know. Well, he's just one of those actors that's solid. The, I the, mean, he's he's got his thing. Yeah, and, and he does it well. And he and he and you can't. You'll never find a better Wilford Billy than. Wilford and <laughs> we should we should do shout outs for the other casts we did that he he the the movies we did of him in like go check out the thing go check out remo williams but we also should say go check out hard target because uh a lot of the stuff i forgot to ask him about which i should have looked back and looked at our catalog yeah yeah well it was kind of impromptu you know it would be all the stuff he did in and what did you say he was in it was john woo's first american film the hard target yeah i believe that was john woo's first american film you know, I remember when we did the episode. We were so impressed. We were like, because it appeared that he was doing a lot of stunts. Like, you yeah. could clearly see him, like, riding full ass down, you know, on a horse, firing arrows. Yeah, and it was, and it was like, medium and he close was not ups. A, he was those, I mean, we're talking in the early 90s. He was in those spring chickens. Yeah, and he wasn't, it didn't look like he was doubled. And, you know, we know he's comfortable around the horse from a lot of the westerns he's done and stuff like that. And, and later he had these commercials for um diabetes and he's yeah. on the horse but yeah and then and then he had a great like creole accent remember you oh, know yeah, the, the yeah. french new orleans is i guarantee he's good in that movie he's, you know he plays a much smaller part in remo williams but uh yeah hard target 
you know, well, we did that movie because I love that movie. And and he's and he the one that like I forget he's like the uh, the father figure to like Jean Claude. Yeah, so yeah, like, he's like his uncle. He could have trained him in all the the, the arts of uh, John Van Dammery, You know, <laughs> Van Damage. Yeah, he he blows the whole house up. Remember, yeah, yeah, blow up his house. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's he's like a moonshiner out in the middle of the. Body. Oh, he's like making like yeah, he's making like white lightning out there, and it's just they have to get there by like fan boat. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's a great movie on its own. It's one of those versions of like the deadliest game. Or the most dangerous game, but uh, fabulous movie. I love that genre. The, 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 every ten years you get the a movie. The most dangerous game genre. <laughs> yeah, well, you get a movie about like you know people hunting rich, rich people hunting people. Yeah, like surviving the game is another one of them with Ice T, uh, which is a, a ripe classic for uh, yeah, yeah. for this podcast. You may Gary, have to break Gary your Buse. no. You may have to break your no Ice T rule. Well, you know that had that movie came out at a time that was before my no rapper rule. Oh, so you can maybe you can yeah, reflect I saw on that it. back then. That was a big. That was a sleepover staple for yeah. my friends back. Then, so. That movie. And then there's another. There's a couple in the '80s that there's one that I still don't know the name of that scared the shit out of me when I was little. And it was one of these movies where there, you know, people are. It, it, again, I think it was in the Bayou that people were trying to run away because what happens at the end of like the sequence? I remember like they're like in maybe like waster or like uh, chest deep water and they see like across the thing there's like a highway like we've made it and then they get killed because there's like a <laughs> dude in a tree getting them or whatever Goddamn dudes in the tree yeah so you know Brimley was cool and we thank them very much both of them for, for taking the time and just talking to us you know I mean it's it's nice enough to you know some young guy you don't know just sticking a mic in your face and saying hey you want to answer some questions yeah yeah I mean clearly a guy like Martin this was Wilfred Brimley's first one but a guy like Martin Cove you know, he does these things a lot. Yeah. And uh, I think he has a good attitude about it. He seems like he's knows why he's there. There's, you know, I think he's appreciative of I, the people I, that, that are there to see him. I and, threw him a curveball with Spinell, and he knew Spinell. We gave a, jo- a little Joe Spinell uh, a reference there. Oh, Joe Spinell shout out. A little Joe Spinell shout out. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he seemed like a really nice guy. You know, it was nice to see. Yeah, you take the you, time and that just. you see people that, I mean, Especially a guy like that that you see play an asshole. Yeah. So many times. And then when you get to meet him in person and he ends up being like the super nice guy. He's not like talking about sweeping the leg. <laughs> <laughs> he's not telling Johnny you sit at the table next to him to sweep your leg to get yeah. you out of there. You know, he's just like, you know, he's not making me break like things of ice with my with my fist. You know, uh, his scars have healed, though, I have to say, from from his injuries when he tried to punch Mr. Miyagi through the windshield from the car windows. Uh-huh. So you don't really see those scars on his forearms anymore. You no. know, that's which is nose is OK from being honked by Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, the, yeah. The, top the, the, the three, the three <laughs> stooges reference there. But a uh, fabulous guy. And, and, and as was Wilford Brimley, you know, he was he, he was a great guy. And he had one of those huge 10 gallon hats on that looked great. And he just he still looks like if I 12 gallons. Yeah, it, was, it was so big. It was 12 <laughs> gallons. And he's. Still looks like if I said a wrong word or he got cross with me, he can still kick my ass. <laughs> just give you a slap. Yeah, just because his hand backhand. Yeah, yeah, his hand was the size like a gorilla's hand. He's, he's like a he's not not physically tall in stature, but he's just a big guy. You yeah, know, so yeah. he can take you out. You know, he just, he'll bear wrestle you to death. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, he used to say that about Australian Will. Oh he, yeah, he remember get, Australian Will? He used to know this guy who was just, big, just a big. Guy from French Australia. horn player, nice one of the nicest guys I've ever. Met. And he's one of the one of the guys who gets. He, we see him all the time. I see him walking because yeah, yeah. he's, he's he a session. A, he plays a lot in like the Broadway pit orchestras. And yeah, stuff. and he gets work all the time, so he's always doing like really high end plays. You know, you would never. He's the nicest guy you would probably. I've never seen 
a bad hit, like and him being angry really you know, about anything. You know, anything you think of him, he's like he got a smile on his face, very yeah, lighthearted, yeah. very warm, very jolly. And uh, but you know, it's the kind of thing if you got on it, if you just imagine if you got on his bad side, you'd say you'd have to unload a whole clip in him to take him down. <laughs> that, that was my that was always my. He's the kind of guy, yeah. You have to put a whole if he's running at you. <laughs> You know, you have to unload the whole clip on him. Yeah, that's Bubba from Brimley's like I think. Maybe yeah. not now because he's kind of old. But. Yeah, but back in the heyday, <laughs> you'd have to use both barrels, and you might have even have to reload if it's a small caliber. You know, you <laughs> and then he's on you before you're able to, <laughs> and you're done. You know, and then he's a vampire. Who knew? Um, anyway, but anyway, that was a little nice little side cast we did. A little sun's coming up. Sun's Time coming up. Yeah. Time for some cereals. Yeah. Since uh, some sunny D. <laughs> so we hoped you liked it. Uh, we have other ones of these we did. We uh, Blake, you've interviewed a couple people for you for oh, had yeah, people did, over as well. We did the movie lovers uh, series uh, with Richard Christie from the Howard Stern Show and the band Tarred Walls of the Damned. And of course, Cody Carpenter. Little Cody Carpenter. Cody Carpenter. Every time we talk now, <laughs> every time you say Cody, I have to say Cody Carpenter. Little Cody Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. I tell you one thing, Cody Carpenter. <laughs> your mom there is to be a Cody. So we talked about his pop. Yeah. How is your father there, Cody Carpenter? Now, we talked a lot about Transformers the movie. Oh, it's it, like his favorite movie of all. Great time. movie. Did you tell him we did a podcast? I it? did tell him we yeah, did a podcast yeah. on it. He's, he's as he put it Transformers the movie is more than a movie to him it's how it is to me like there's scenes I said this in the Transformers podcast that when we did it there's certain scenes is like Shakespeare to me like when like freaking you know uh, Unicron is talking to Megatron he gets his new body and Orson Welles and Frank Welker it's like some of those things are priceless so. you know so check those out thank you for stopping by we'll have a regular um, old podcast next week where Blake and I will be looking at another movie that you know we've loved from our childhood and uh We'll see you real soon. Later. Later.